0: We're going to go to God's Word, and uh, one thing I want to let you know about um, a few weeks ago, uh, Friday, five weeks ago, uh, I was lying uh, in a fairly unfamiliar environment, and I was lying down semi-naked with just the covering of an operating gown uh, covered me, and I'm lying there in this waiting room just about to go uh, into an operation on my heart. And what had happened a few months ago, I've got a defibrillator, it's a long story, uh, but I had a cardiac arrest when I was 17. And I, since then, I've had to have multiple operations. Over the years, uh, many were m- m- stretched out over many, many years, uh, but have operations. And a few months ago, a surgeon called me and he said, there's, some, there's a bunch of old leads that I knew about in my heart. And so he said, we think we can get these leads out, these wires out that had been in there for some over 20 odd years. And uh, then he explained the procedure and we listened. My wife and I, Fiona, listened and we sort of thought, okay, let's, let's do this. And we had to replace uh, the defibrillator as well. And so I'm lying there on this operating table. This has culminated into a whole bunch of conversations. And here I am, I'm waiting to go in. There's no one else around. There's some hospital staff there. And it's simply me. There's no mobile phone I've got. There's no other communication I've got. I'm just lying there on this bed waiting to sort of go into this, this hybrid operating theatre room. And as I'm sitting there, I'm just reflecting on things. I'm reflecting on life and I checked my life insurance before and I made sure that that was solid. And uh, my wife and I had some conversations and, and we weren't sure what was going to happen. The surgeon had said there's a chance that the worst could happen. There's a chance that when we go in to get the wires out of your heart, uh, there's a chance that we could, you know, nick the heart wall or do something like that. And, 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 and so you're kind of going into this operation thinking, is, is, this, is this it potentially? And I'm just lying there in this gown and it's a very unfamiliar environment. There's unfamiliar people around me and I'm going into an unfamiliar setting. There's, there's, there's lures coming out of me as I get wheeled into the operating theatre. It's this hybrid operating theatre. It's something out of, I don't know, a Star Wars movie or something. There's all these machi- this machinery that you're never really used to, used to seeing. There's people that you don't know. And all of a sudden you, you, you're lifted to this cold, hard slab and you're lying there And then a whole bunch of people start uh, putting wires into you and doing all sorts of things to you. And they're saying things like, "Now we need to put these huge big lines into your your femoral femoral artery and into your carotid. And we just wanna make sure that if the worst does happen, we can flood all these drugs into your system as quick as we can. And I'm like, okay, good. But I'm starting to feel a little bit, okay, this this is getting pretty real. They showed me that you know some people die in this procedure and some people have significant heart complications, but we think it's gonna be fine. But here you are in this crazy unfamiliar setting. And yet deep down, there's this familiarity of, of a presence with me that I know is the presence of God. It's an unfamiliar setting, but yet I know the familiarity of God. I've walked with Him many years and I know His presence. And I start singing to myself in my head, It is well with my soul. Horatio Spafford, who who coined that song, who wrote that song, wrote it in the midst of his family having a incredible tragedy in the Atlantic Ocean where a lot of his family died. And he wrote, it is well with my soul. And he's making the point that no matter whatever goes on in life, no matter what you go through, it is well with our souls because we have Jesus. And tonight we're in this series called Entrusted. And I want you to kind of contemplate your own life because I was painfully aware in this moment that actually I'm entrusting my physical life into the hands of people that I've never met to a situation that I'm really unfamiliar with. And I either go one of two ways. Either I start freaking out and thinking, this is really tense. Or I realise actually there's a familiar presence that I've known many, many years in my life who's with me. When we say things like God, His Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. He lives in your heart. That's the only place that you can go to when there's nothing else and no one else around you. It's you and God. And we've got to figure out at this moment who we are in God and what He actually means to us. You see, when I was, when I was 17, as I mentioned before, I had a cardiac arrest. And when I came out of there, that was a miracle. And a bunch of people prayed and the doctor said, you need to say goodbye to him. And... Worst case scenarios, and then a bunch of people prayed in the morning following that, I was awake and eating and as if nothing had happened. And I can remember even at the time thinking this, I can remember thinking, man, I really dodged a bullet there. I I, I really came through that. I was 17, 18, I was brave, I was young, I was fit, I was healthy, and I think I dodged a bullet. When I came out of this operation five weeks ago, that wasn't my first thought. Do you know what my first thought was? Man, how good is God? How good is God? I'll say it a third time, how good is our God? I know His presence. And I know that I've been entrusted with something special. The Apostle Paul, I want to share a verse with you in 1 Timothy chapter 6, a couple of verses. And I love the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul writes this in chains. And, and it was really, most scholars would say this was only a couple of years before he was, he was killed by the Roman Emperor Nero. And the Apostle Paul writes this while he's in chains in First Timothy, he writes to his, his kind of protege, Timothy. And he says this, First Timothy 6, 20 to 21, he says, Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you, guard it. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. He says, may God's grace be with you all. May God's grace be with you all. And I wanna kind of just break apart this, these couple of verses in the few moments that we've got left together tonight. Because he says, he says, I want you to guard what God has entrusted to you. Guard what God has entrusted to you. Do you remember in the movie, maybe you've seen the movie Lord of the Rings. I know most people have. And I was reflecting on the movie because I love the movie. And, uh, and there's a moment at the start of the Fellowship of the Ring where, where Gandalf comes and, and Bilbo's having his 111th party and it's all kind of laughter and it's all fun. And, and then Bilbo comes back to his home, he puts the ring, leaves the ring for Frodo and then he goes on his journey. And then Gandalf realises what he was entrusted, what, what what Frodo was entrusted with. He goes away, if you remember, he he checks all the, the scripts and he finds out actually this ring is quite dangerous and it's probably a bit more significant than I thought it was. And he races back to the Shire and he knocks on the door. And Frodo and he says to Frodo, Have you got it? Have you got the ring? And Frodo says, Yeah, it's on the it's on the mantelpiece. I've left it there. He goes, Goes goes and get it. And he holds the ring to Gandalf and Gandalf says these famous words, keep it secret, keep it safe. He says, keep it secret, keep it safe. And if you remember, and he closes his hands, I'm pretty sure, he closes his hands around it. He says, you've got to keep it safe. And I want to leave that picture with you tonight because we've been entrusted as followers of Jesus with something very special, that we are to keep safe, but not secret. We are to keep safe, but not secret. But I want you to have that moment of you've been entrusted with something. Tonight I've got a little subtitle. It's called It's in Your Hand. It's in your hand. What God has entrusted to us is in our hands. Here's the thing then Frodo decides, doesn't really know what's going to happen, but deep down what he knows he's got in his hand actually has the power to defeat the enemy. I love that thought that when we've been entrusted, we've been entrusted with the gospel, and the gospel has the power to actually defeat the enemy's plans, what He's entrusted to us. Do you remember the Gospel? Do you remember what it's called? It's called the good news. It comes from this old word God spelled, good news. It means good news. We have the good news entrusted as a deposit to us from God to bring good news to our world. It's something that we need to protect. Have you ever had something? I can, can, I'll be honest, I can misplace things at times times. And what I do is I try and be super organized with myself, right? And I say, right, the most important things in my life, I've got to keep in important places in the house. So when I need to access them one day, I'll know where they are, right? And so have you ever done that with your passport? You know, it's a really important document. I know we don't know what passports are anymore. We can barely remember them and what we look like on our photos because none of us are traveling anywhere. But you remember your passport, you put it somewhere. It's got to be important because one day I'll need to grab it. And then you forget the most important place that you put it and you're looking around your house and trying to search for it. We don't wanna do that with the gospel. The gospel is the most important thing that we've been entrusted with, right? But we don't wanna lose it. We wanna use it, right? We don't wanna lose the gospel. We want to use it and we wanna put it in a valuable place. And so Frodo recognizes this. And as he goes on his pilgrimage, which we kind of all do, we're all journeying through life. But I love the fact that he takes the ring with him. And it's kind of like that with God. When we, when we have given our life to Jesus, we take the power of the Holy Spirit with us every single step of our journey and everywhere we go. And we need to spread the news, the good news of the gospel to as many people as we can. I'll explain why that's really important. 2 Timothy 2.2. Now we've shared this first, but I love going back to it. 2 Timothy 2.2 says this. This is again the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. And he says this, You have heard me teach these things, So Paul's saying, I've taught these things to you, Timothy, that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. So what we love about this verse is there's actually this four degrees of separation in this verse, four degrees of separation. And we want as many people to hear the good news of Jesus with what we've actually been entrusted with. Because God says to us, He wants our whole life. Again, when you're on, lying on an operating table about to go into an operation, which you're not quite sure of the outcome, it's pretty, pretty easy to just kind of say, God, I realise I'm actually giving my whole life to you. It's pain, you're painfully aware of that. And when we come up to things like miracle often, can I just say, we're giving our whole life to Jesus. When you give your whole life to Jesus, everything under that, everything that is part of your life, or your possessions, or your stuff, or your attitudes, your emotions, all those things play a part. We're giving all of those things to Jesus. Not a part of our life, every single part of our life. And so there's four degrees of separation. Let us to this. In 1630, Dr. Richard Sibbs wrote a little book about Christ called The Bruised Reed. 1630, I'm not sure if anybody's read it. But he says, a copy of that book fell into the hands of a tin peddler who gave it to a boy named Richard Baxter who became one of the greatest of Puritan pastors. Baxter wrote a book, which Philip Doddridge read in the early 18th century. Stay with me. He says he in turn wrote a book that William Wilberforce read and it changed his life so much that Wilberforce led the fight for the abolition of slavery. Wilberforce's example continues to inspire us and has been an inspiration for Charles Colson. Some of you might know him as Chuck Colson and the organisation that he founded, Prison Ministries, around the world. And the story kind of goes on and on and on. But I love the fact that when we've been entrusted with something as precious as the gospel, we have to share that with others so that they can be entrusted with the very good news that we've been entrusted with. I love the fact that we never know who we're impacting with the gospel. We never know how far our life is gonna reach other people. We're simply saying to God, God, you've deposited something in my hand and in my heart that I've got to share with others. It's changed my world and I need to help change the world of others because of what you've done for me. The more we share the gospel, the better that I believe that we can safeguard it and the better that we can protect it. It needs to be protected. In this day and age, the gospel needs to be protected. The gospel is truth for everybody who hears it. And so we need to share it. So the second part of, that voice, uh, the part of that verse says that this avoid godless. I love, even if you stop there, when a verse says avoid godless, it doesn't matter, godless anything. Anything that's not got God in it, avoid it. Is this God? Is it, is it, if it's God, it's good. If it's not, it's probably not. He, he needs to kind of permeate our worlds. So avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Now again, we can do a whole other series on this alone. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you. So the Apostle Paul's talking to Timothy and he's saying, there's gonna be opposition to what you say. There's gonna be continuing to opposition. Not everybody's gonna like your message, Timothy. And he's trying to prepare him for this. Paul realises even at this point, God, I've I've entrusted my life to you time and again. Paul keeps going on about this, being entrusted his life with God. He knows that his life is going to come to an end. He even prophesies it in a couple of his his, his letters. And he realises the time for him is coming coming near. And so he's saying to Timothy, come on, you need to be able to to, to do this, avoid these foolish discussions, but not everybody's going to be with you. There's a a phrase, I don't know whether you've heard it, but called emotional contagion, right? Say that at home, emotional contagion. Emotional contagion is kind of like this. Whenever I... I have a photo with someone or there's a group of us and we're taking a photo. I usually do this. This is my standard kind of photo face. I kind of go like this. (laughs) 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 And then you're like, take the photo, take the photo. (laughs) And I just imagine myself laughing at a joke. And as I do that, what happens is other people laugh because I'm the one that's laughing. And they go, (laughs) Jake's laughing. (laughs) And we're all all of a sudden, just like in this room, everybody's laughing. Actually, they're not, which is weird. But normally they'd be laughing when you laugh. When you smile, people smile. And we usually, we're creatures that kind of mimic each other's facial expressions. That's called emotional contagion. When I smile, you smile too. Do you know, with emotional contagion, when we're being advertised to online, do you know that Facebook kind of understands how this works, right? They understand emotional contagion and it's not a new thing to suggest that, 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 that people who market products to us market it on our emotions. When we feel good about something, we want to buy it, right? When we feel good about uh, a, a certain product. You know, I was watching these Nutri-Grain ads that keep coming on, you know, and Nutri-Grain is Iron Man food. And there's always people doing cool Iron Man things. And it makes me think one day I could be an Iron Man too if I just ate nutrigrain grain like these guys do. Full of sugar, whatever, right? But it's got grain in it. So it must be a good thing. It's nutrigrain, grain and I can be an Iron Man too. And so they market these kind of products that use people to do this for you, right? But here's the thing. Facebook has an algorithm. And again, you can research this yourself. It's all kind of out there. They pretty clear about their algorithm. And it used to be kind of if you liked the page, you know, if you liked it, you would start to see more content that comes on your page. Right? And now the algorithm has got even more, a little bit more intense. It's not only like, but the more that you interact with the page, the more that you comment on the page, the more that you have dialogue with a certain post, the more of that kind of content that you're going to actually see, and the higher the prioritisation that it receives. So if there's a a post that you don 't like and you interact with it right I know we 've all thought about doing that. some of us have engaged in some of that stuff right if you 're upset about a post that someone that someone has posted, probably the best thing you can do is not comment on that type of post. If you see something that you like and that 's healthy for you, maybe comment on those things, and you 'll start seeing more of those things but there 's this emotional contagion thing that Facebook understands, and especially in a time like this when we realize that actually we're in a space where a lot of us are physically separated from one another. I mean, look at what we're doing now. I'm literally speaking to you down the barrel of a camera and you're literally seeing me and receiving hopefully these words and hopefully for a moment you can just concentrate on what God's speaking to you about. But this is what's happening. And right now there'll be comments on Facebook feeds and YouTube and people going, yes and amen and that's good. And oh my gosh, emotional contagion. I'm totally like that. Oh my gosh, I totally did that as well. And oh, that's so like me. (laughs) And all that stuff's going on right now all the time. And I love the fact that when we share the feed and when we share the link, we're trying to get the good news that we've been entrusted with to as many people as we can. That's what we're trying to do. It's good news. I love the fact that last week, people in my world that have never stepped foot in our church have commented on it They looked at our panel last week that we did yesterday morning and they said, thank you for the panel. That was really informative and really engaging. And I'm like, I can't believe they watched it. I want them to engage in more of this content because I know it's good for them and I know it brings hope to them. So here's the thing. The challenge with this emotional contagion thing is it takes takes a more sinister tone. Because on the one hand, it's cool because we kind of go, you know, part of me thinks... When I like stuff and I like products and I'm looking at, I don't know, life insurance and I search it, I might see more about life insurance stuff and I might be more relevant to my search and I might think that's a good thing. But it can take a sinister tone as well because the problem with the kind of the digital world that we're involved in now is that we can comment on things and and, and things are getting more and more polarising around kind of key issues. This good or bad, it's left or right, it's blue or red, I'm in this camp and you're in this camp and these guys say this and these guys say that. And the comments are getting more and more extreme and it's hard for somebody to say something now without somebody going, how dare you? Now, why am I saying all this? Because again, we've been entrusted and we've had something deposited to us. The gospel has been deposited in our hearts. When the the gospel gets deposited into your heart, Right, you then make a decision, do I believe in what Jesus did for me? Right, And do I believe in the way that I can outwork that in my life? When I respond to things, am I responding as if it were Jesus responding to that situation? Am I responding as if it's truth? This is my Bible. And I read it because it's truth. And everything I see online, I figure out, does it line up with the Word of God? If it doesn't, I go, it's not truth. This is the only truth that I know for the last 25 years. And it's got to line up with the Word of God. So Harvard Business Review recently published an article and they cited some research that suggests that we're not to bury our heads in the sands at this time. So there's research based on kind of COVID studies going on at the moment and talking about isolation and how it affects people, how it affects our anxiety and our well-being. And they've scientific research that suggests that we're not to bury our heads in the sand. That's a good thing for us. I love the fact, and we were talking about it recently, wasn't it a miracle that we managed to do Shout Conference? If you think about where we're at now, for those of you around the country, that's great. But for those of us here in Auckland, we're still at, at, a, at a group of 10. Let's pray tomorrow that that gets lifted. But wasn't it a miracle that we managed to do Shout Conference? And, and, and they, they published this article that suggests we don't bury our heads in the sand. So we're not gonna stop is stronger still on. Absolutely it's on. Miracle often, absolutely it's still on because we don't want to stop and bury our heads in the stand and wait for this thing to ride it out. I love what Patrick Dixon said recently. When the, when, the, when the planes go overhead, we bunker down and we have done. But he said, there's a point where you've got to be a bit more brave and actually it's time to step out again. It's time to re-engage back in society. And sadly, there's a lot of people that aren't, still aren't doing that. Now, I, I, I take all the health concerns into, into account. We're not being foolhardy. But there's a point where we've got to actually step out from the bunker and start to step forward and start to re-engage in society, re-engage in life. We can still do that within the government's guidelines, but we can't bunker down and bury our head in the sand. And it says, the, the reason says, don't bury your heads in the sand, but stay alert and listen to this. Be wise about your sources. Be wise about where you're getting information from. I want to say, we've been entrusted the gospel and we're called to be wise about how we steward it. When I start seeing more and more online about people's opinions about what they think and what they, I'm sometimes shaking my head because I'm like, if it doesn't line up with God's Word, why are you putting your weight behind it? I'll say that again. If it doesn't line up with God's Word, why are you putting your weight behind something? Why are you putting your weight behind an issue? God's Word gives us all the truth that we need. We've been entrusted with the gospel, right? Tyndale in in, in the 16th century died at the stake, was burnt alive because he printed this book in English so that we could read it. People fought wars over this book and we have access to it here in our country, in New Zealand, if you're living here. And it's, it's so important that we understand what God's Word says. Because I love in Hebrews 6:19, it says, this hope, it talks about the salvation that we have in Jesus. This hope is what is an anchor for our souls. So in this kind of COVID time, we're tossed kind of left and right. Sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we do feel a bit like, well, what's gonna happen? What I love is that in Jesus, because we've been entrusted with this incredible deposit in our lives, it doesn't matter where we go. We know that this hope that we have is an anchor for our souls. We know that we can lie on an operating table, not knowing about what's going to happen, but no, come on, this hope that we have is an anchor for our souls. What about, I I coined this phrase, but I like this. What about if we talked about a gospel contagion? Forget about an emotional contagion. Our emotions, I'm an emotional guy. My emotions can run high and run low. But what about a gospel contagion? What if our responses to every situation just contain the good news? What about if everything we did, we go, no, we wanna see a gospel contagion. The gospel is a contagious, it's a contagious book. It's a contagious truth. When you follow God's plans and His ways for your life, you'll prosper. Time and again, the Bible tells us this. Time and again, when I've over my 25, 26 years of being a follower of Jesus, when I've implemented God's principles in my life, I've prospered. And when I haven't, I haven't prospered. It's that simple. But I want to see a gospel contagion. The Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, again, there was a study that they did. And they said this, feelings of hope have been shown to be more important than feelings of fear. Wow, man, mind explosion emojis, right? Hope is more important than fear in times of resilience resilience to poor outcomes. Some would say that 2020 has been a reasonably poor outcome of a year, right? Reasonably poor outcome. And our response, if our response is one of hope, we do better off than if our response is one of fear, right? In God, we don't have fears. Perfect love, the Bible tells us, casts out all fear. So we don't need to fear as followers of Jesus. Therefore, why are we fearing? Why are we, some of us still hunkering down and waiting for the storm to pass? What if it doesn't and we've got to choose to live in the storm? I love the fact that there is another in the fire. I was listening to it as I was driving here tonight. There was another in the fire standing next to me. It's such a great song. The words are so powerful because that's what I felt when I'm lying on this operating table. There's another in the fire. No matter what I'm going through in my head, I'm trying to remain calm knowing God's with me, but His presence is so familiar. But He's there with me in the storm. And that gives me such incredible peace and comfort. We've been entrusted to bring hope, not to promulgate fear and uncertainty. We've been entrusted to bring hope to people. Please, I don't know if I like it when people say, "Oh, 2020 is a write-off. Oh, what a stink year. It's like saying to God, God, obviously you got this year wrong and we're simply waiting now a few months for 2021 to tick over because that's going to be amazing. And God's like, He's not sitting there wondering, oh man, yeah, 2020 blindsided me as well, Jake. He knows what's going to happen. But He also says, come on, how are you going to respond? How are we, does our identity come from what we see in the media and social media and our digital world? Or does our identity come from Christ? Does it come from this book? It's fine to have doubt and uncertainty and fear and insecurities, but come on, bring it to God. That's what King David did. One moment he's up, yeah, God, you're so good. I love you. The next moment he's on his knees. Why God, what is this This happening to me? Process that stuff with God. God will give you all the answers. He'll give you all the questions too. In John 16, I love this verse. He says, this, listen to this. This is in the, the Passion Translation. And everything I've taught you is so that the peace which is in me, this is Jesus, will be in you. So Jesus and saying, the peace that's in me will be in you and will give you great confidence as you rest in me. For in this unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrows. Really? But you must be courageous for I have conquered the world. Man, what a great Scripture. What a great Scripture. The peace that's in Jesus is the peace that's in us. He says He's conquered the world. That's all we don't Don't write off 2020. No, use it. Use it. The way that we respond to 2020 will ultimately determine what level of our faith is and whether we really know what we've been entrusted with. And then in the last part of the Scripture that we've been reading, it says, some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. There's a, come on, there's a real warning shot over our bow here that some have wandered from the faith because they've seen this foolishness, foolish actions. Why, why entrust your life to God? Like, why do it? Colossians 1.13 says this, For He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. That's why we do it. He purchased our freedom. For a moment, imagine, slightly morbid thought, but imagine that you were kidnapped, right? You're all at home now thinking, okay, where's he going with us?" But imagine that you've been kidnapped and there's a ransom and they will contact your family, they'll contact people that you know and they said there's a ransom for Jake's life. We've taken him hostage, right? But then they say, but we don't want you to pay money, right? And Jesus says, I'll pay, right? He doesn't ask the price because he knows what the price is. He said, the price is is my life. And all of a sudden, there's there's this transfer that takes place. We're in a warehouse somewhere in the middle of, I was gonna talk about a geographical location, but that's probably... Some inherent bias in that, so I'm not going to. But we're in a warehouse somewhere and I'm sitting there, chained to my chair and Jesus walks in and He says, Jay, you can, you're now free. And I stand up and I go, oh man, Jesus, oh, thank you. And I say to Him, man, how much was my life worth? A million? I'm, I'm secretly hoping it's worth a lot of money because I'm a super important guy. Two million? Five? Five? And Jesus almost says, it's good, I got it. I didn't pay any money. And I'm thinking, oh man, for free, wow. Am I worth that little that I'm nobody? Jesus then starts to sit in my seat. He starts to get shackled and he says, cool, Jay, you can, you can go now because you've been set free. And I go, what? He says, you can go. And I sort of start to walk away and I realise, well, how's this going to work? What are you doing? He doesn't really say anything to me. He just says, you're set free. This is what the is talking about. He's redeemed us. He's bought us at a price. And the ransom was His life for yours. Man, that's so cool. And at the same time, the weight, the weight of what we've been entrusted with is so powerful. I can feel His anointing in this cold, empty room that I'm speaking to you in. The weight that we've been entrusted with is so powerful. I pray in your homes tonight that you know this is what Jesus did for you. He brought you back and the price was His life. That was the price for our freedom. He gave His whole life for you. He didn't hold anything back. When we come into Miracle Offering next week, I want you to know He gave His whole life for you. He gave his whole life for you. You know, we ask him for a miracle often. we say, "Don't, don't give us the figure. You, you go to God with it." I love the fact that God will put a bigger demand on you than what maybe your local pastor or, or, or community pastor or a group leader can. God will give you a figure, and you'll know it's God because you'll be like, "Okay." And then you look back and you go, "You remember the moment of when you were walking out of the room, and Jesus still there, handcuffed to a chair in an empty warehouse." And you go, I wonder what's gonna to happen to Jesus. He doesn't really say anything, he just lets you go out the door. He says, No, you've been set free. And in his eyes, somehow you know and you feel sad, and you sort of cry and you realize, man, that's amazing. And the weight, the weight of what he does starts to impact your life. The, the operating table that I was in is just a metaphor for any other example that you've got in your life. That was real for me, but it may not be for you. But I want you to imagine like somehow you're in a situation in life because you'll get to a point where you'll realise, man, I've, I've got to rely on God's Word. I can't rely on what I see online. I can't rely sometimes even what other good, good meaning friends tell me. I've got to rely on what God's Word says. That's what I've been entrusted with. And you've got peace in the storm to know that no matter what outcome happens, God's with me. He's in the fire with me. He's in the storm with me. These are great metaphors, but they mean so much when you're actually in a storm. But the deposit that we've been entrusted with can actually bring hope to others. My prayer tonight is that you realise the weight of what you've been given. What you've been given, you know, what, what the enemy meant for evil, God uses for good. The enemy thought the battle was over when Jesus went to the cross. He thought, I, I got to Judas and I managed to engineer this thing to make it happen that Jesus would die not realising on the third day that he came back. He conquered sin and death. He conquered the world. And so for a moment, the, the devil's got a point where he's like, "Ah, oh man, my plan's foiled. But you know what the devil probably thinks now? The devil thinks if, if Christians don't ever realise what they've been entrusted with, If they don't realise the power that they have, if they don't realise the John 16, 33 verses when he says, this peace that I have, you also have. If we don't get an understanding of that, the devil goes, you know what? I'm still winning today. I'm still winning. Because if Christians don't realise what we carry, the devil still wins. And maybe for a percentage of people, it's, they realise, man, God, you've conquered sin and death. That means that I can go and conquer this world and take dominion. That means that I don't have to, to continue to make the same mistakes that generations before me have made. That means I don't have to live in a mindset where my parents and my parents' parents suffer with this stuff and so do I. Illnesses and things like that that we, that we talk over our lives, we don't have to do that anymore. Sickness and disease, we can pray to God and we can say, come on, God, I know you've conquered this for me. Psalm 4, 7 says this. He says, You have put gladness in my heart. You've put gladness in my heart more than in the season that the grain and wine increased. More than any season that we face, God, You have put gladness in my heart. The joy that we have in God is greater than anything. That's what we've been entrusted with. This joy that extends far beyond whatever situation we're going to. So listen to you at home right now, just for a moment, just focus. But focus on the, for the joy set before Him. Jesus went to the cross, realising the pain and the torture that He's gonna go through, realising that all night He's gonna be interrogated and beaten and whipped. He goes to the cross, not sleeping, clothes half shredded off Him, crown of thorns, carrying His own cross. And He does it all for you and for me. And He says, that's good news for you. Come on, let's not squander what's been entrusted. There's a deposit that we have. Come on, almost hold out your hand right now and, go, and hold on to what you've been entrusted with. It's good news. It's good news to take into our world. It's good news that in any situation, we've got an incredible testimony because of what God has done for us. Martin Luther King Said this, and you probably heard this quote talking of being entrusted and being a good steward. He said, If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted, or Beethoven composed music, or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, Here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Come on, I pray you put your own name in there. Here here was Jake, he did his job well. Everything that God asked him to do, he was obedient. Come on, I pray that that's what people will talk about one day. I pray they'll talk about you one day and they go, man, that person was obedient. Obedient to sharing the Gospel. The biggest danger is that if we don't use it, we don't wanna have an endangered Gospel. We don't wanna have an extinct Gospel. When I was in third form at my school, I had to do one year of Latin. And all of a sudden we're just reciting our declensions that we know. But, but we often said in class, why are we doing this stupid language? No one even talks about it anymore. And they say it's useful. It's only useful for being able to wow people by remembering declensions. But if we don't, if you don't use a language, it dies out. A language talks about a culture and a people. Come on, I pray that we can see a gospel contagion In our world. Come on, in this nation, in Aotearoa, can we see a gospel? Come on, contagion. Can we see a fire up and down this nation that reaches people? That's what we've been entrusted with. The key for us is that we settle it in our minds and in our hearts whether we believed that we have been purchased with a price, that we have been redeemed by Jesus. The challenge for us is do we believe it and do we know what to do with it? Come on, you've been entrusted with something special. You've been entrusted with the Gospel. Jesus loves you so much that He sent His Son. God loves you so much that He sent His Son, Jesus, to die in your place so that we wouldn't perish but have eternal life through Him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There was no way to the Father apart from Jesus. And tonight, friend, I wanna say, through these awkward ways that we're communicating with each other, and I know they're amazing, but I know that you're listening. I know the Holy Spirit's in your room right now, wherever you're listening from. I wanna say that He's good that He loves you, that He cares for you, that He sent His Son Jesus to die for you. Whilst you were in sin, the Bible says that Christ died for you. And maybe you don't know and what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment. And as I do that, I pray that you would repeat this after me, maybe at home, maybe for the first time. Maybe you realise, gosh, God has given me something. I need it take it seriously. Maybe for some, you've walked away from God and, or maybe for some, you're just in the season feeling apathetic and you're kind of like, I just don't know what to do. And it's almost like the Holy Spirit said, come on, it's time to get out from the bunker. It's time to bring hope to a world that desperately needs it. You wanna bring your life back to Christ. Come on, He's good. He's into regeneration. And come on, let's pray this prayer together. Come on, if you wanna give your life to Jesus, we're gonna pray together. Dear God, tonight I pray that Lord, we would accept You into our hearts as Lord and Saviour. Father, tonight I open up my heart and I ask that You would come in, be my Lord and be my Saviour. And Lord, forgive me of all of the things that I've done wrong. I pray You'd give me a fresh start. I thank You that You went to the cross for me and died in my place while I was still in sin. And You did it because You're a good, good Father. And tonight I accept Your free gift of salvation. I thank You that it would change me I thank You, Lord God, that I'd be able to bring hope to this world, hope to my neighbours, hope to my friends, hope to my family. And I thank You, God, for what Jesus has deposited into our lives. I thank You for the Gospel. In Jesus' Name, I pray. Come on, I can hear everybody up and in the country saying yes and amen and amen and amen. God, You're so good.